Jewish man from Brooklyn had just become a Christian himself, reading the Bible every day, but he uh, hadn't gone to church yet. So in my brother and I walked to the hotel with my mom and dad living there, and I had, a, quite frankly, quite a big adjustment from the disco scene and never being in church a day in my life to a sudden born-again Christian, which I knew I was, but I didn't know where to go from there. In fact, I was having flashbacks from that whole scene, and I was hugging a King James Bible that we had, a Gideon's Bible there at the hotel. I couldn't read it. I was just paralyzed, laying on the couch. My father said, we got to get some help for this kid. Laugh at me. (laughs) So my dad had known a pastor, Steve, who had checked into the hotel. And he couldn't remember his number. He called back in the day, 411. And the operator, instead of giving him New Life Center, gave him Christian Life Center. So my father didn't even know. It got directed to CLC. And my father asked for Pastor Steve, just a moment. And she put him through to the youth pastor, whose name is Pastor Steve. Well, it's not the Pastor Steve he was looking for. Well, my father explained the story, and this youth pastor said, I'll be right over. So he came over. He saw me laying on the couch. And once this guy, 6'6", just fired up, lay hands on me, started to pray, in languages I knew and in languages I did not know. <laughs> and said, come on, let's, uh, let, let's give you a Bible verse to start to memorize. Philippians 4, 8 was the first Bible verse I ever heard, and it came from him. And he invited us to his youth group. My two brothers, my sister, and I all went to his youth group. The kids who went to Bethany University, who had a home church at CLC, were in his youth group and invited me to have lunch at the Bible college one afternoon. And my whole life went to ministerial calling from that connection. In fact, my entire family, father and mother and four of us siblings, were baptized all in the tank, the same tank at their Christian Life Center. All, got, all with God using the wrong Steve, of course. <laughs> The right, the right Steve, which was the wrong Steve, actually. The right Steve was Pastor Steve Stiles, who is still involved in New Life Center in Santa Cruz. And I've called him and told him the, that he's the, he was actually the right, wrong Steve. <laughs> anyway, it gets confusing, but uh, it's an amazing story. Steve and I, 31 years, whenever I have uh, an issue... I call him. Whenever uh, we are in the same nick of the woods, we get together. But for th- three decades now, both he and his wife are so dear. You've heard him. He came for our seventh anniversary and just rocked the house. Truly the most intense uh, man of God that I've ever met. I always say, you know, those high voltage warning signs they put on electrical fences. <laughs> no offense. <laughs> But I think it's only right to warn people. He's just a little. He's high voltage. He's high voltage. But I needed somebody high voltage. I'm laying there after discoing away my life, you know, and I needed somebody to come in and with a fire to burn John Travolta out of me. 
I was even nervous about doing this one way with Jesus. Was, no. So he invited me to go to Romania in October with him, and what a missions trip that was. We hit the ground. We were ministering night and day, literally, for a week. I mean, in Jesus' name, amen, and we were back on the plane. It was amazing, night and day ministry. Let me tell you how he saves me out of trouble, and then I'll introduce him and come up here. He got me in touch with the Bible college and said, start to email them. So I did. He gave me the link. So I'm emailing the president of the Bible college in Romania, who speaks English, broken, but good. And so I wanted to be culturally relevant, so I Googled, God bless you, in Romanian. And I cut and paste. And I signed it. It's Obata Sebata. So I put it down there. Obata Sebata Ross. P.S. How did I do? And I got back, uh, not really good. (laughs) But I didn't know what it meant. So when we got there, we're in his office in Romania. And I said, so you said that the obata sevata is not very good, but what does it mean? And he said, you said, may God beat you. (laughs) May God beat you? And then everybody in the office said, oh, that's him. (laughs) And then for one week, everybody was, may God beat you. (laughs) So now I am very well known in Oradia, Romania, as the one who brings the beatings of the Lord. (laughs) With that, Steve Savage, come on up here. Let us have it, Sav. And may the Lord bless you. <laughs> I, I do want to thank you for, maybe I could use the word tithing or, or giving your pastor to Romania. You know, Jesus doesn't think like we do. He thinks very differently and he tells us why. Because the kingdom of heaven is actually near. It's not far off. It's not just when you die. It's not just at the end of your life. In fact, his inaugural slogan, if I could use that word, the bumper sticker on all the ox carts in Jerusalem, was repent because the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, metanoia, that Greek noun for repent, we've isolated it to talk exclusively about the compunction for sin, which is an appropriate response to sin. But the word doesn't mean just sorrow for sin. In fact, that's only a corollary meaning. It really means change your mind. Think differently about God. Think differently about this world, this earth. Think differently about yourself. Repent. Change your mind. Why? How? The kingdom of heaven is near. Well, how near is it? I'm glad you asked. (laughs) It's so near if two or three gather in Jesus' name. It's so near in him we live and move and breathe and have our being. It's so near, you never know when it will break out, squeeze out, get out, and do something that can't be done. How awesome is that? And so you tithed, you gave away, because Jesus says, if you want to receive, you should give. That's not how we think. 
We're talking about the way Jesus thinks. It's not like us, but he wants us to think like him. He says, if you want to save your life, what should you do? Lose it. Give it away. If you want to lead, what should you do? Follow. Serve. See, that's actually right side up. The world is upside down. Repent. Change your mind. Think differently. Why? Well, the kingdom is near. It's at hand. And by the way, you're a drop zone when heaven touches earth. You're the drop zone when heaven touches earth. It's beautiful. And so you tithed, you gave, you sent your pastor. And it's true, he did bring the beatings of the Lord. That is very true. (laughs) And, And it was perpetual laughter all the way through our time in Romania. But you know, you know, that the Lord Jesus has deeply and richly anointed your pastor. And when he was in a classroom or in a church or in a meeting with pastors late at night, the anointing of God's spirit, the drop zone, was going off. And and, and life was happening. Not just information, life. Please remember, the gospel is not primarily information. The gospel is a person. We call him Jesus. The gospel is primarily a person. The information pieces follow the person. They don't lead the person. All the other stuff makes sense if you love and know Jesus. It's not worth much if you don't. So my Jan can't be here with me. I'm traveling, doing some stuff. You met her last time. And, but, you know, what makes Jan wonderful, the, the facts about Jan only really matter if you know her. See? So, like, I love the facts about Jan. I could tell you a ton of them. And they're all good. But, see, it's because I know her. It's because I love her. And so you sent your pastor, and life happened through him because everything in God's kingdom, that kingdom that's near, lives. If it's the kingdom, it lives. Living stones, living sacrifices, living words, living hope, living faith, living water. It just goes on and on. Well, what kind of living? Resurrection living. The kind of life that's not normally here is here, it's near, it's at hand. Open up your heart. Throw open your life. Repent. Change the way you think. Why? The kingdom is near. Learn to think in league with the kingdom of God, with heaven that's near. So Jesus calls us to be the people who repent. That's not, you know, just when I'm sorry for my sins, and I should be sorry for my sins. But it's like this morning. Okay, my nickname's Sav. Come on, Sav. Think differently. Change your mind. Why should I do that? The kingdom is near. Oh, yeah. And just so you know, we're supposed to keep doing it. Three years later, that was the inaugural slogan. Three years later, with the 12, oops, sorry, I got to say by the microphone. With the 12, actually, I could just yell at you, but I'll stay mute the microphone. With, with the 12, with the 12 near him, Jesus took a child and put the child in the midst of the 12. Three years later, they've been following the physical, the human Jesus for three years. And he said, unless you change, different Greek words, strepho is the Greek word there, but it means a 180 degree shift. Unless you, he's talking to Peter, James, and John. And I know sometimes they look like Larry, Curly, and Moe, but they really are the apostles, Okay. <laughs> He puts the child in their midst and he says, unless you change and become like this little child, 
you will in no wise enter the kingdom of heaven. And so my brothers and sisters and friends, we have this assignment every day while it's called today to be the people with open hearts, to be thinking about Jesus, about his words, the way he thinks, and to be asking ourselves the question about, am I changing my mind? Am I allowing the Lord? And, you know, I like to call the scriptures his written voice. God still has a speaking voice, and he still uses it. But I can't always hear the speaking voice, but I can always find the written voice. Am I allowing that written voice to find me? Am I allowing myself to have a changed mind? Repent, Sav, the kingdom of heaven is near. Yeah, isn't it beautiful? So you've done that, and so now your influence through your pastor literally is across the nation of Romania. I have an email just from the, the president of the Bible college, and he's talking to me, and he goes, uh, and Steve, about Dr. Ross, could he please come back? <laughs> so I'm hoping the answer will be yes to that. I'm hoping the answer will be yes. It's marvelous. Well, this morning, for uh, the time we have together, I'd like to chat with you from the words of Jesus, and we'll actually be looking at a passage in Luke's gospel. And then I want to talk a little bit about an opportunity that I think Jesus is presenting Pastor Ross and and me with. So if you want to open your Bibles to Luke's gospel, verse 6, I'm sorry, chapter 6, verse 27, that would be great. If you're not familiar with how the scriptures work, Luke is the third book in your New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and you want to find Luke 27. It'll be a minute before we read from that passage. The title of our chat this morning is called Picture Perfect, and the thought was actually inspired in me by something Jesus says in Matthew's gospel, in a similar teaching to the one we're going to be looking at in just a few minutes, the one you're finding in Luke 6. Picture perfect is that colloquialism we use in our language and culture to describe and affirm a wide variety of occurrences and circumstances. Picture perfect has been assigned to such realities as an outstanding football play. It was picture perfect. Now, if you happen to be a Green Bay Packers fan, it was a picture perfect moment when Aaron Rodgers realized they were going to win, the drive of the Steelers had failed, and this trained professional athlete was jumping up and down on the side like a little boy at Christmas. Picture perfect. To the Steeler Nation, please accept my condolences. As an Oregon duck, I know exactly how you feel, okay? We're talking about picture perfect and what it means. It can be applied to Thanksgiving tables. It was picture perfect. Vacation spots, postcards, weddings, anniversaries, to a day's weather to summer gardens. It can be applied to so many things that go exceptionally well. It can be applied to a a great day at the office. It was just a picture-perfect day. All these have been labeled by someone or another as picture-perfect. It's always a joy to the beholder, and it's a great story to be shared with another. A picture-perfect anything is something all of us can treasure. This is not only true for things human and temporary, but for things spiritual and eternal as well. Believe it or not, Jesus also has some picture-perfect realities. He loves and wants us to engage as well. So what I'd like us to do on our way to Luke 6 is look at a, a passage from Matthew 5, and it'll be on our screen, and it's a couple slides long. And so what I'd like to do is invite you to read it with me aloud. So we'll just read through this passage, chat just a minute, as we've got our minds set now on that which is 
picture perfect. Would you join me? You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends his reign on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers... What are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Wow, that was great. Thank you for reading with me. Let me just offer a couple of notes on this thought about perfect. Perfect is defined as that which is unable to be improved. It's without fault or defect. It lacks nothing. Picture is that, um, perfect is that which is unable to be improved without fault or defect, lacking nothing. The point here, of course, is that there are some perfect realities that we can enjoy from God and then others that we can offer back to him, even though we are imperfect people in an imperfect world. There are certain realities we can enjoy from God, and they're perfect, Other realities we're being called now to offer back to him, even though we are imperfect people. I mean, as an example, worship was great this morning. Thank you so much for it. It was wonderful. The team who led us and you who engaged your hearts. Jesus makes perfect worship possible. Don't need to add anything to it. It has no fault before the Father's throne. He's just really glad to hear my voice, even though the folks around me might not think it's that great. <laughs> he doesn't mind that I carry all my tunes in a bucket. You know, he just doesn't, that doesn't bother him at all. Because of Jesus, I can offer back perfect worship. It's, it's perfect. There's nothing to be added to it. What does God require? He just loves a, 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 a broken, open heart, just a heart wide open to him. He loves that. It's perfect to him with all of my resident imperfections. So so perfect is that which we can't improve on. It's got no fault, no defect. It lacks nothing. And the problem with this is here's this list that Jesus gives us of picture-perfect things, and then verse 48 kind of jumps at me. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Oh, that's going to happen. I'm all over that. What does that mean? How does Jesus want me to think about that? Because my Father in heaven never, never makes a mistake. Ever. Not even one time. For those of you who are old enough to remember the big fear at Y2K, 2000, right, when the computer's rolling over, what a tremendous oops. (laughs) You'd think those rocket scientists would have thought of that, you know? But it was a big oops. We never thought about that. My father, your father, our father, he never has one oops. Not one. He's flawless. Is Jesus saying to me, Stephen Paul Savilich, be flawless like your heavenly father is flawless? If he's saying that to me, I will fail him consistently this day and every day as long as I live. Because I have lots of oops. Hopefully, most of them are unintentional. But on occasion, on occasion, 
I'm willing to kill someone and tell God they died. Be perfect, therefore, as your Father is perfect. This is not a call for you and me to strive toward an impossible ideal. If someone has told you that, convinced you of that, let me call you to repent. Change your mind. Do not think that way any longer because the kingdom of heaven is near. And this is not what heaven is asking of you. It's not a striving for an impossible ideal. It's an invitation to live out very concrete, possible, and perfect responses in an imperfect world. Let me illustrate. Praying is always good. It's good to pray. It's good to pray when you're scared. It's good to pray when you're glad. It's good to pray. Praying is always good. But when we pray for those who hate us, It's perfect by definition. In the strictest sense of the word, when I pray for my enemies and I ask the Lord to bless them and to prosper them, it is by definition perfect. Heaven does not want to add one thing to that prayer. It doesn't need to be improved. It has no fault or defect. It lacks nothing. It's perfect. Perfect. Remember, he causes his sun to shine on the righteous and the unrighteous. And his rain falls on the just and the unjust. You've heard it said, love your, love your neighbors and hate your enemies. But I say to you, repent, think different. Love your enemies. Pray for those who mistreat you. Bless, don't curse. This is picture perfect from heaven's perspective and heaven seeks to add nothing to it and this is something very possible for you and for me to do heaven is near us ready to empower and inspire and help us to give back to god these very perfect responses even though we're imperfect people in an imperfect world this was such a relief to me to find out that perfect like the Father wasn't flawless. It was such a relief to me. There's just so much of life which is so imperfect even when we're trying to fulfill the words of Jesus on earth. I'm an imperfect person in an imperfect world, and God uses imperfect people to fulfill his perfect will. I've discovered his will is actually imperfectly perfect. So I carry this with me. Can we have the next slide here? I was in Romania, and we, were, we, we did a couple, oh, not Romania, in, in Uganda, and we were doing some work there, the work that I do. We, had in, we, did, we brought an ICU unit to be installed in a regional hospital. We bring in brand new equipment, all the trainers, all the consumables for a year, and we move a hospital from one level to another. And it's a gift to the nation. We always bring in the believers in the area and make sure that the the, the government leaders know this gift is from these people, and this is, this is the gift to help you help your people. And so we'd completed that project. Then we'd gone up north, and we were with Sister Rosemary at, at St. Monica's, and Sister Rosemary is rehabilitating LRA girls, Lord's Resistance Army girls. And these, the, the Lord's Resistance Army is, the, is an army that 
captures kids in the villages and turns them into children soldiers. They, they ravaged northern Uganda for about 20 years, and the good news is they left Uganda. The bad news is they're in Congo now. And so what happens for the girls is most of them become sex slaves. And so Sister Monica is dealing with these former LRA soldiers. I sat next to Rose and her three children five years after coming to St. Monica's. They found her walking out of the bush, AK-47 slung across her shoulder. She had a four-year-old, a two-year-old, was carrying her third child, had no idea who the fathers were because she'd been repeatedly raped so many times. How do you put that kind of a life back together? You do, you can. There is a God in heaven, and he has a will on earth. And Sister Rosemary's given her life to bring that life to these girls. She was, Rose, she was so beautiful to see after, after being loved, after being cared for, after heaven coming near earth. So they have this whole process of education, and she has a job in town, and I met the three kids. It was a marvelous process. So we're doing this work in Uganda, and on the way out of Uganda, I had a meeting with a very, very wonderful pastor, Pastor Julius, and he leads a, a large group of believers in Uganda. And so we had lunch together. I sent the team off to do some shopping, and at the end of our lunch, I really had to, to I was going to say beat it, but you know that's just kind of a bad thing, huh? Yeah. I really had to hurry. <laughs> and so, um, so Pastor Julius took off, and I had to go find the team, and I was running low on Ugandan shillings, and I'd just been talking with Pastor Julius about this idea of heaven's perfection, and that it is actually a perfection based on mercy, not on flawlessness. God's perfection is all about flawless. Mine is all about mercy. It's all about mercy. And so we were talking, and I said, I'm going to live mercy. I've just really pledged myself to live mercy, and I'm just going to find a way to be so intentional about living mercy wherever I go. These words that Jesus has given to me, I want to think them, I want to say them, I want to live them. We had a great dialogue. So we had to leave, and I needed to get the team going out to the airport, and I'm running low on shillings, and we still have to fill up the truck and pay the driver and all these things. So you know, I'm going to apologize for the story. This is just, you know, I haven't been with you that many times, but this is what happened. So I'm just going to tell you my story. So as... We all know at some point your bladder wins. And so I needed to take care of that problem before we got on the, 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 the bus to get the team to get to the airport. And so ran down. The restaurant we were at closes between lunch and dinner, so it was closed. We ran down to this pizza parlor to use the facilities. And as I'm in the facility, an interesting thing happened. I started hearing the sounds of an automatic flush system for the urinals which I thought was striking in Africa. I thought, wow. You know, when you're in Darfur and other places, you know, it, it's not that way. So I was rather surprised. And um, what happened was uh, it, they had automatic flush. The problem is they had it set on Niagara Falls setting. <laughs> I mean, all the locals would have known to step back at that moment. <laughs> I wasn't a local. And so this, this cascade of water ran down the urinal and out and just covered my slacks. Now, I'm looking at about... Oh, I'm looking at about a 38-hour travel home. I'm looking at these slacks. The meter's running. I have to go. I have to pick up a team. And I am thinking, 
this is very, very not good. I mean, there's no way this is, I mean, you know, then you start thinking about it drying, but there's no way this is going to dry in time. I have, I've got no choice. So I thought to myself, well, wait a minute. Nobody knows who you are here. <laughs> so I thought to myself, I am going to strike my most confident pose, and I'm going to walk out of this bathroom and out of this crowded restaurant like this is how I do it all the time. <laughs> And so, avoiding eye contact with all the patrons, <laughs> fixing my eyes on the goal, the door, I left the bathroom because I didn't have time to do anything else. So now I am beelining toward the bus. The driver's got the bus. He's waiting for me. We have to pick up the team. We have to fill up the bus. We've got to get to the airport. We're running sl- late. We're running little on time and Ugandan shillings. I've just been talking with Pastor Julius about mercy and about not missing an opportunity to do something perfect. As I'm walking toward the bus with my slacks and my problems, there's a one-legged man on a crutch standing right there, hand out. I don't have time. I really don't have shillings. I got dollars. They won't help him. He needs shillings. So I say, Jesus, I don't have time. I'm just mumbling under my breath, you know. I don't have time for this, Jesus, but I'm going to give this guy 10,000 shillings. It's like five bucks. So, but, I mean, I need five bucks for gas. I, I mean, if we went out of shillings at the gas station, it's going to be one big fat bummer dude. <laughs> so I peel off the 10 shillings note. I'm walking by the guy. I'm walking by the guy, and I just hand him a note, and I say, in Jesus' name, and I just keep walking. Okay, Sav, way to go. You passed the test. That was really good. Get to the bus. I kid you not, as soon as I thought that in my mind, a guy in a wheelchair with no legs appears. (laughs) What is going on? And so I'm not proud of this. I am not proud of this, but I said, Jesus, I'm giving this guy 10,000 shillings, and if this doesn't work out, I'm giving up mercy for Lent. So I peeled off the 10,000 shillings, and I, all I had time to say was, in Jesus' name, hand in the shillings, got on the bus. We went to pick up the team. It's a long story. The short line is this. We filled up the truck, the, the, the bus. We paid our driver. We gave him a wonderful tip, and I had 30,000 shillings left in my pocket. Now, how perfect was my behavior? Well, if you're talking about flawless... It went south in the bathroom. (laughs) My attitude might not have been the most holy or refined as I just want to get to the bus. But the beautiful thing about the perfection, that which cannot be added to, that heaven calls me to, is that it's a perfection based on mercy. And I think the Lord is glad that I peeled off the notes and gave to these people because he says when you give to somebody who can't pay you back now that's something so we're talking about picture perfect reality so when I got my slacks back from the cleaners special attention has been given to this garment but the spots or stains remaining cannot be removed without causing damage to the color or the material We call this to your attention 
so that you may realize that it's not been overlooked. Picture perfect. Special attention. Picture perfect. Okay, let's read our text from Luke 6 and chat through it and talk just a few minutes. We're at Luke 6, and I'll just read this, starting at verse 27. I'm reading from the New International Version. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners, even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good. Do good to them. And lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. Well, the beauty in verse 27 is that none of us are exempt from these words of Jesus. But I tell you who hear me, these are words spoken by Jesus to every human being. The activities which this section contains are picture perfect in an imperfect world, verses 28 through 35. The point is they cannot be improved upon. There is no fault or defect in them. It's beautiful. When I give to someone who can't pay me back, when I love someone who will not love me back, when I greet someone who does not want to greet me, heaven says that is perfect. It's a perfection based on mercy. Jesus asked the question, if you're just loving those who love you, what credit is that? The Greek there is actually charis, the word for grace. Another way to say that phrase is, where's the grace in that? If you just love those who love you back, where's the grace in that? And we're people of grace. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Where's the grace? If you're only loving those who love you. It's picture perfect. Things you and I can do on earth. It's unmerited favor. It's a perfection based on mercy. And that's the basis of this perfection. It's mercy. It's not that which is deserved or even expected. Most enemies don't expect us to love them. They're not thinking it could, should, or would happen. But ultimately, these actions give us a chance to reflect our response to the Lord. The Lord who is in heaven, and not just to the recipients here on earth. Jesus says, in that you do it to the least of these. You do it to me. You remember at the end of the age, there's a an assessment. It's an announced exam. It's not a pop quiz. Jesus lines it out in three simple and profound pictures. It's Matthew 25. And it's three simple things. It's the parable of the virgins. Did your light shine? It's the parable of the servants. Were you faithful with what God gave you? 
And then it's sheep and goats. What did you do to the least of these? I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was alone, you visited me. I was in prison, you hung out with me. I was sick, you comforted me. Lord, when? When did we do this for you? And that you did it to the least of these, my brothers. You did it to me. I was hungry, you didn't feed me. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was naked, you refused to clothe me. Lord, when? They're both asking the same question. And that you refused to do it. You refused to do it to me. It's striking to me as a trained theologian that there's not a theology line in the final exam. Wow. I am not suggesting that's unimportant. I'm just saying the teacher gave us the heads up on the, on the exam. So, like, what should I be preparing for? You know, what should I be studying for? Please do theology. Just don't do it in exchange for picture-perfect living. Because remember, everything in the kingdom lives. And that would like include you and me. We're living stones. We're living sacrifices. We're the messengers, the emissaries, the ambassadors of the living God. Why should we have mercy on those who don't deserve it? That would be because he has mercy on us. It's Here's a truth, I, I, it's not in, in the slides, that I, I, I want to help you as you're, I want to give you as, as, and help you as you think about dealing with people. When you follow the life of Jesus in the circumstances which are varied throughout the New Testament, Jesus, here's his basic MO. Jesus will start at mercy, lead with love, and then face the facts. Start at mercy, lead with love, and then face the facts. The woman caught in adultery. Start at mercy, lead with love, face the facts. Peter's denial and his reinstitution, we call it, reassessment there. John 21, what was the question Jesus asked Peter three times? Do you realize what you've done? Do you realize the influence you've had for bad? That wasn't the question, was it? Three times the question was, do you love me? Do you love me? Start at mercy, lead with love, face the facts. Now, culture, and even religious culture, puts pressure on us. It wants us to start with the facts, which, of course, create an exemption for mercy, and then we call it love. May that never be our portion. We start at mercy. We lead with love. And then we must face the facts. Jesus is truth. He'll meet me at truth, even when it makes me look really bad. And it makes me uncomfortable. He will meet me at truth. And the beauty about meeting Jesus at truth is he literally can do anything about everything. Start at mercy. Lead with love. Face the facts. Well, let me just bring a quick application to our lives on the way to a little story about the future here. So here's a picture-perfect checklist for you. Point of three, one, one of three. Am I praying for and blessing those who are my enemies? Trust me, if you aren't sure on this, someone somewhere does hate you. <laughs> just trust me on that one, all right? 
Am I praying, oops, am I praying for and blessing those who are my enemies? The point here is praying for an enemy and loving him actually becomes mutually reinforcing. Let me tell you how that works. If you pray for them and bless them, it will help you act in love toward them. When you act in love toward them, it will help you pray for and bless them. And it's a beautiful cadence. Why should I do this? Well, the master says so. It's that great line from Peter, because you say so, Lord. But it's a beautiful thing, because when you do this, you're doing something from heaven's perspective that is perfect. Heaven doesn't need to add anything to it. It's without fault. It's a perfection based on mercy. We're just going to skip the slide and move to number two. Who am I doing good to that cannot pay me back? It's the checklist, a picture-perfect activity. Who am I blessing, praying for? It's my enemy. Second one is, who am I doing good to that cannot pay me back? The point here, again, is there really are countless opportunities for this, and the Lord is counting on us. So I'm going to our, 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 our P.O. box, and there's a guy in front of the spot there, and he talks to me, and he says, Excuse me, my girlfriend and I are trying to get in the bus to pick up our daughter downtown. Do you have bus fare? I'm not big on just handing money out, you know, whatever. We carry fruit bars in our car to give to people that are asking for stuff and whatever. And I don't know, I just, you know, I'm thinking this stuff. And I said, well, would you like me to give you bus fare or take you there? Well, actually, I kind of like it if you took me there. Get your girlfriend, let's go. So he piles in the back seat, rolls the window down. He just talked, I mean, he never stopped talking. He just talked all the way. I couldn't get a word in edgewise. I don't even think you took a breath. I'm just, just, well, okay, it's good to do good. So they got out of the car. Thank you so much. You're a really nice guy. Okay. Two weeks later, I'm at the P.O. box, and a man approaches me and says, my girlfriend and I need to go pick up our daughter. I smiled broadly, and I said, I know. I gave you a ride there just two weeks ago. He shook my hand. He said, you're a really nice man, whatever. And then he just like took off. (laughs) Well, was that wasted? Was I taken advantage of? Is heaven looking like, way to go, Sav. What a dope you are. I don't think so. Heaven's perspective is it was picture perfect. It was picture in that you've done it to the least of these. You have done it to me. So in my worldview, in the thoughts of Jesus, I gave Jesus a ride with his girlfriend to pick up their kid. (laughs) Work that out in your theology. Okay, this is our picture-perfect checklist, a way for us to think with Jesus about the perfect things that we can do, even though we're imperfect people. Am I praying for and blessing those who are my enemies? Who am I doing good to that can't pay me back? And finally, is there a debt or a loan I need to forgive? Is somebody indebted to you? They even promise to pay you back. They owe you something. Emotionally, they owe you something. Financially, they owe you whatever it is. Is there someone somewhere that you should just forgive the debt? They said they'd pay us back. They haven't. And the question is, why shouldn't we engage mercy and gain a credit in heaven? Why not do something perfect based on mercy and just forgive the debt? We're not denying it. We're not turning away from the truth of it. In full view of the debt, we're just going to show mercy. This was the parable Jesus told. 
about the, the servant who came with the huge debt. And he begged, forgive me, forgive me. I'll pay it back. It was millions. He'd never pay it back. And the guy said, I will forgive. In full view of the debt owed, he forgave his debt. You remember he went out and found one of his servants who owed him 10 bucks and wouldn't forgive that. And so when the master found out about it, he had the one he'd forgiven, thrown in prison, and then the end of the teaching, Jesus says, this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you if you do not forgive your brothers, your sisters, in this case, your enemies from your heart. Very strong words that we might know how to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So um, what I'd like to do is uh, just pause here for a minute. And maybe we just take a minute and we'll, I'm just going to run this list again and let your mind think with Jesus about your sphere of influence. Is there somebody that you're praying for and blessing that would be an enemy? And if you are, why don't you just offer a prayer for them again right now? Just bless them. And if you haven't started this, why don't you grab one of your enemies? And why don't you just ask the Lord to bless him? He'll know how to bless him in a wonderful way because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. His sun shines on the righteous and the unrighteous. Be merciful, therefore, as your Father in heaven is merciful. Just where you sit, why don't you just offer up a prayer? Or maybe there's somebody that you're thinking of right now that you could do good to and you know they couldn't pay you back. Would you just like ask the Lord to make sure you make a beeline for them at your very next opportunity? Or when such an opportunity presents itself, would you offer yourself to the Lord as his ambassador? Just say, Lord, show me a spot. I'll do it. I'm in. I won't give you an excuse. I won't cop a plea. I'll just go for it. And finally, maybe there is someone you need to forgive, and I would just submit to you that you could start that forgiveness right now. And maybe you'll never say it to their face, but you'll know it in your heart. You'll live it out in your life, and you'll be free from carrying the burden of that <laughs> debt. You'll just be free. You'll be able to run with freedom because that won't weigh you down anymore. It's, it's perfection based on mercy. Just right where you sit, you could just pray that out and just say, Lord, I forgive. I forgive any and I forgive all. Lord, I want to forgive the way I've been forgiven. You could just pray that right now. We'll give you just a second longer and then we'll, we'll finish our teaching. Well, Lord, we just were pausing here and just a few more minutes and we're done. And we just realized that you have been so gracious to us and so good to us. And here we have this opportunity. And Lord, for us, you know us and you know that I'm not talking about necessarily easy things. But they are forever possible because the kingdom of heaven is near. Because the Holy Spirit is present. Because if two or three gather in Jesus' name, Jesus is there. So Lord Jesus... We're just saying that for our enemies, Lord, we bless them and we are asking that your grace would find them and even as your mercy has found us, that it would find them. Lord, thank you that you love all. Thank you how pa for how patient you are and we want to example that patience. And so we bless them and we pray, we pray for their children and where they work and the things that they do. May your reign and son find them, prosper them, help them. And Lord, we forgive the way we've been forgiven. 
Lord, help us do good, not just, and it's not wrong if we're doing good to those who can pay us back, but please expand our sphere of operation. Please give us the opportunity and help us seize the opportunity just to be a blessing to someone who will never be able to pay us back. Thanks for these perfect things that we can do and that they matter to you. And then, Lord, these debts that we carry that others owe us, promise to pay us, whatever the payment was, and they don't, and they haven't, and the chances are they won't. We're not forgiving this, Lord, because they won't. We're forgiving this because you would. We're forgiving because you would. We would like to have mercy on them, and we'll take the credit in heaven. So, Lord, thank you for this. I pray that any tether or chain or encumbrance that's been on any person in this building today would fall off of them as they respond to picture-perfect living. Lord, thanks for giving us a way to live on earth like they do in heaven. We do love you back, and we're grateful to pray in, your, in the authority of your name, Jesus. Amen. 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 Well, if I could indulge myself on you, I guess that's probably not a good thing, but it's all I got left. I just want to, may I talk for just a minute about a picture-perfect opportunity? And so if we could just, let's start running this. So these are dynamics in our imperfect world. There are many restricted access nations in our world. I've been to many of them. Sudan, Djibouti. Djibouti is a little tiny public on, uh, it's not a republic, it's a tiny little Islamic republic on the Horn of Africa. These governments are opposed to any and all official Christian missionaries working and sharing in their countries. They're often ruled by communist parties, totalitarian regimes, and religious extremists or exclusionists. The good news is, as you read with your pastor this morning, Jesus has unrestricted concern for all nations. Isn't that marvelous? We'll skip the Matthew 28 since you already read it. These dynamics give us an opportunity for picture-perfect living. So let me just briefly describe for you a picture-perfect opportunity in Sudan. So let's go, let's go to the Sudan slide. So Sudan is the largest landmass nation in Africa. You can see where it is on the globe there and then more, more specifically. Next slide. This is Dick Brogdon, and he has had a presence and ministry in Sudan the last 16 years. I've worked with Dick on several projects. He is a marvelous young man and the team with him. And they are loving people, and people are finding great life and relief in the person of Jesus. I've done some projects in Sudan. We have a track record there. We have a neonatal intensive care unit that we've accomplished as well as a school in Darfur. The religious police arrested Dick a while back, and they were going to throw him out of the country. And so what we did is we did this, this medical project, and the, the minister of health went to argue with the religious police. And, the, and they said, you can't throw this man out of our country, and here's the reason why. He loves us, and the physical proof was the neonatal unit. Uh, Dick and this medical doctor came to the national prayer breakfast in 2006, the presidential prayer breakfast. It was a marvelous time. I've been with this, this, this minister in Sudan num- new- numbers of times, been in his home numbers of times. And one of the beautiful things that happens right now is every time we're together, we always get to pray in Jesus' name. It's a beautiful thing. So um, what I'd like to do is just show you a little bit about Darfur. Let's just go to to the Darfur slides if we could. The Darish Complex Primary School, this is for a IDP camp in Trinity's Place persons, 36,000 
women and mo mostly women and children. And uh, next slide. I'm, there I am meeting with the sheikhs. The sheikhs gave us land for the school right on the border of this IDP camp. It was beautiful. Okay, they gave us the land, and we said, this is wonderful. Thank you for partnering with us. It's a school for boys and girls. And they sent word back, it can't be for boys and girls. In our country, we don't do it that way. It has to be boys or girls. And honestly, they want us to pick boys. So we sent word back the second time, thank you so much for this gift of land. But we really want the school to be for boys and girls. And they sent word back the second time, we don't do it that way in our country. It has to be boys or girls. The third time we sent word back to the, sh we say sheiks, they say sheiks. To the sheiks, we really want it to be a school for boys and girls. But if you make us pick, we pick girls. And we meant it. Next slide. Boys and girls. <laughs> the UN says it takes five years in a row of education to break illiteracy. And uh, we, we finished classrooms that provide all five years, and now a German-based NGO has come alongside and done classrooms for two more. We now have the school going through the seventh grade. We met, with the, we met with the Ministry of Education as part of what we do in our leadership projects. We meet with the leaders, and they have now started paying all the teachers' salaries. All of our teachers have a college degree, and we reserve the right to pick the headmaster or headmistress, the principal. And as the Lord would have it, that person always is a believer. It's marvelous what's happening at the school. This is our track record in Sudan. One more. Thank you so much. One more. Next slide. This is a, the Abdomen Pediatric Emergency Hospital, only three pediatric hospitals in all of Sudan, all of them around the capital city, and that's one of the waiting rooms on a Saturday. We brought a NICU, a neonatal intensive care unit, to this hospital in 2005. And we went back in 2000, this is from 2009, end of 2009, just to see how it was doing. And we got to this NICU, and here it is, next slide, running so beautifully. The director there, second from the left, came. He, was, he happened to be in. We didn't tell him we were coming. We just wanted to show up and see how is it going all these years later. And all the units were running. There was a one-pound, I mean, six-ounce baby in one of our units. Nurses were taking care of him. And here's what the administrator said to us. Before we had this unit, we could lose up to 15 babies a week. And he said, it just devastated us, the families. It was so devastating. After the NICU, it's rare for us to lose one baby a week. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah, still running. See? Well, we found a need in an open door in a, in a town called Coasty at the Abba Island Hospital. Let's go to the next slide. Again, there's your map for Sudan. Coasty is right there. It's about three hours south of Khartoum, still in northern Sudan. Next slide. A little closer, there you go, right on the White Nile. All right, so this is a beautiful thing. Next slide. Oh, back up, sorry. Oh, let, let her rip, just let it go. I thought I had a, oh, I put him in a different spot, okay. Here's what I want to tell you about this hospital. Coasty and Abba, Abba Island, like Abba Father, only one B, it's the heart and soul of Sudanese Islam. This is the place where the Mahdi rose from. The Mahdi was the first uh, national Islamic religious leader in Sudan, and he led the, the, the 
the, his, his followers against Gordon and his troops. And if you're familiar with Rudyard Kipling and the Charge of the Light Brigade, he's the guy. On his palace grounds is a hospital. And that hospital has been, has been targeted by the Ministry of Health to become a cardiological and teaching center for the White Nile State, the largest state in the nation of Sudan. And we are going to bring to that hospital an ICU and a complete retrograde for the, for the operating theater. We'll bring the med- same, same issue. We'll bring the medical people to train, the biomeds to train. We'll bring all the consumables for a year. Everything's warranted for the next three years. It's a beautiful project. And we're doing this in league with Dick Brogdon. And basically what we say is we're here because of this man. This man loves your country, and this is a gift to the country. Well, the Minister of Health is pretty excited. The hospital people are excited. The Ahmadi University is about 30 minutes away from this hospital. It's one of two universities that women can attend. There's a women's university in Khartoum and then this medical university. They allow men and women to attend together because it's medicine. And you've got doctors and nurses, and that's just how those things work out. And so we're going to have a chance to be training now the medical personnel coming through that university. I mean, in the next five and ten years, we'll be touching literally hundreds of thousands of people because of it. We're very excited about this, this possibility. Let's run to the next slide then. Oh, we're here. So, so what's going to happen? What, what, what do we have to have? We're going to love those who may not love us back. We're going to pray for those who may hate us. We're going to give to those in need who cannot or will not pay us back. We're going to go without human fanfare or recognition. We're going to bless the way we've been blessed. Next slide. So there I am with Dick and with Dick's associate, Rick, cleverly disguised as simple humanitarians. We can go anywhere in this world and bring a tangible act of love and establish a relational connection. And what I have discovered Here at home and around the world, tangible acts of love and relational connections are the pages that we may put the name and words of Jesus on and be heard. And the point is that we're heard. What what, what we're hoping for, what we would like to do, is to have Pastor Ross join me in this project and that you would believe with us and that we would go together to bring this tangible act of love and to begin the relationship building and the connection with people in Sudan. We're going to be lifting up the ministry of Dick Brogdon and those who are with him, securing his place against the religious police. Fair enough. But we'll be doing so much more than that. It's a marvelous time. We'll have a chance to interface with the leaders of the nation. Could we go to the next five slides? Just, let's just run these five, five pictures. You can see how it currently exists. There's the hospital sign. There's the gate. Nurses. All on break. Hospital administrator, do you see the beds? We have all new beds for them. You see the beds? They're gonna, but they're going to completely redo this hospital. Next slide. That's Dick. There I am with the ambassador from Sudan. This was November just last year. I had the chance to spend over an hour with him. The other two guys in the picture are from my band of brothers. I have a band of brothers that I'm with in accountability and growing together in Eugene. That's two of my, my three brothers. And we spent over an hour with the ambassador from Sudan. At the end of that time, it was beautiful. We prayed together. And uh, Mike Buckridge, far right, Houston Shepherd next, ambassador, coach, and then myself. Mike prayed, Houston prayed, the ambassador prayed, and then I prayed. And we thanked the Lord for this project, and we prayed together to believe because Sudan is in a lot of turmoil as they're going through this referendum. And so it was a marvelous opportunity to be with him and to be able to pray with him. 
So this is the kind of thing these projects do. It opens up doors for us to interface with national leaders as well as bring this much needed equipment to bear to the saving of lives, to the good of all, to the testimony of Jesus. In my opinion, and I guess it's not that humble, I think, and I maybe, maybe heaven thinks this too, it's a picture-perfect opportunity. So maybe you would join us and, and, and believe with us for Pastor Ross to join me in Sudan. We, we plan to be there the last week of April and the first week of May. Thanks for your kind attention and your warm welcome. Let's go live picture-perfect living. I love the exhortation to just reach out and in kind intention, not having to be perfect, but just have the heart there right before God to help other people. Can I tell you a a quick funny story about trying to be picture perfect, but wow, what a surprise ending. Uh, The Lord laid it on my heart to be more generous with people in need when I was in seminary. When I was on my way to Bank of America ATM to just get 20 bucks for what I needed one Saturday morning. And I had said in my heart, the next homeless person I see, I'm going to help. I don't care how. And so on the way there, I saw a, a woman disheveled and walking on the sidewalk. And I said to myself and to the Lord, if I see her again, Lord, it'll be your sign that I need to help her. And so I get to the ATM and I take the 20 for me, and I notice that she's right in my eye shot again. And I thought, oh, man, thank you, Lord. And so I took out a 20 for her. And I walked up to her, and I said, excuse me, ma'am, but the Lord has really put it on my heart to, to help you out with this $20 bill. And she said, man, I must look bad today. <laughs> she said, well, my husband and I are remodeling our mansion up on the hill, and I just put on some clothes I could paint in, and I didn't fix my hair, and I, for the very first time in my life, had nothing to say. (laughs) What do you say to that? Well, gee whiz, um, yeah, she goes, oh boy, well, she said, Sonny, you can keep that $20. I was like, have a nice day. (laughs) But I felt like the Lord said, perfect. Because I felt on my heart, I wanted to help somebody, you know. And sometimes you, you, you turn over something and, it, and it's not quite right. But your heart's right. Look, let's be a people that are always seeking. Who needs help? How can I be merciful today? How can I extend God's kingdom in my sphere of influence? Amen? Let's pray and then we'll stand. Why don't you stand with me? I'll pray. We'll have a closing song. Now, Heavenly Father, we just commit ourselves to your care. We ask, Father God, that we would be wise as serpents and meek as doves. That, Father, that we would be good stewards of the resources you've given us, of course, as we're teaching. But also, Lord, not to outthink ourselves and overanalyze things to where we are excluding ourselves by being used by you from being used by you or being merciful or kind. Help us, Lord, to evidence the love in our hearts by 
doing merciful deeds, to extend the mercy that was shown us. And from the love and forgiveness that we have freely received, to give that out to others, Lord. Thank you for this time. And Pastor Stephen, the perfect opportunity, Lord, that he's presented to, to love those who, who don't love Jesus, don't really love our country, and don't love Christians. That, that help us in your name to make a difference there, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, closing song. Way we, we asked we would do so with a task in mind to be a blessing to others. For that's the reason we're saved. So bring divine appointments our way, even this afternoon, where we could do good works of mercy and blessing to impact those around us here in Santa Rosa and Sonoma County, as well as the ends of the earth in the Sudan. We look forward to that uh, outreach, and we pray for your, your traveling mercies and, and all the preparation that has to happen before that uh, event. We pray for your Holy Spirit to lead and guide the way. We thank you now. In your good name we pray. Amen. Amen.